Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to learn about and hear about in this episode? I interviewed Vincent Koch, head of data at the merchant platform company Pages. To start with, some big ta- takeaways from Vincent. First, if you aren't comfortable with an agile mindset and ambiguity, leading edge probably isn't for you. And that's okay. You and your organization need to be comfortable with failing, learning, and then iterating. If not, then something like data mesh and the bleeding edge really is not going to be (laughs) something that you're going to want to kind of move forward on right now. Second, to get data mesh or really any big data-related change initiative right, you should focus on change management much more than you probably think. It ends up being the secret sauce or the crucial lacking factor much more often than the tech is in these data-related initiatives. Third, think problem-specific, not technology-specific. It's easy to over-engineer the problem. Technologists want a technology. With these last two points together, it's about really what are you trying to accomplish and what you're trying to accomplish isn't implementing a technology. The technology helps you to achieve your results. That's what it's designed or that's how you should be trying to leverage it. Last point, in general, consistency is key to achieving widespread success in data. If you only want it to be in kind of one domain, you know, don't look for consistency, but look where consistency makes sense. One domain having a major success won't lead to broader org-wide success if you don't look to leverage reusability factors to make consistency across other domains easy. 
a bunch of great but non-consistent solutions doesn't add up to a valuable whole picture. You know, the whole one plus one equals three type of concept. You want to get to that. So for Vincent, every organization considering data mesh should ask if data mesh is really the correct approach for them. Data mesh really isn't for a large subset of organizations, whether that is right now or even ever. If your organization doesn't have an appetite for change, it's going to be very tough to move towards data mesh. He recommends embracing an agile methodology such as fast feedback and trial and error and things like that if you're going to try and go down this route. When thinking about splitting your data monolith into domains, Vincent recommends taking a lot of learnings from what works well in the microservices realm. You shouldn't decompose everything all at once. That just creates chaos. You need to split out larger domains one by one and then figure out if you need to split them further But there is when there is more value in doing so. Peel them off instead of a big bang approach. Vincent believes that in general, about 20% of your teams will consume about 80% of your data team's time and energy. There are a few ways to work with those teams to reduce that amount of time, but it is also somewhat of a fact of, of reality, whether that is because those domains are more prominent or noisy or well-loved or for many other reasons. That data work disparity often leads to those areas being more data mature. Now, when discussing disparate data maturity, Vincent talked about the need to drive all domains that will participate in something like data mesh to at least a common base level of maturity. You have to have a relatively mature domain to be at what he referred to as mesh level capability. Domains that aren't at that capability will still need to rely more heavily on the centralized data teams and and those capabilities as they improve their data maturity. And it's okay to work with them closely to up their maturity level. Just telling them to catch up is probably not going to work. There will need to be some handholding there, and that's okay. Vincent believes embedding data analysts, whether you call them data analysts, analytics engineers, or whatever else, into the domains is crucial, especially if you are going to attempt to implement data mesh. They serve as the custodians of the data for the domain whether that is the data shared with others via a data product like in data mesh or for data the domain regularly consumes and uses, again, whether that's from the domain or external sources. One point Vincent thinks is crucial to moving forward in data mesh is that those data custodians need to help disseminate data knowledge to software engineers. And the organization needs to build tools and frameworks to make it easier for the software engineers to own and manage the data. If you have that single person in the domain that really gets the data, that's a pretty risky single point of failure in in, Vincent's view and mine as well. When asked about the balance between long and short-term planning, Vincent talked about with an agile methodology, you need to quote unquote cater to today and not get overly focused on the long-term exact plan or roadmap. Things will change. Set yourself on a good path, set that North Star, and keep your ears and eyes open for the signals you need to change your path or your plan, such as look at what a domain could become with the right direction and set it on that path to positive evolution as best as possible, but overly don't overly define the path. 
you know, it's kind of the how firm of a grip are you are you having on things? You know, too light of a of a grip on like a butterfly, and it it's gonna fly away. Too <laughs> tight of a grip, and you can get the the rest of the analogy. Vincent talked about how crucial and often overlooked or ignored good change management is for data organizations. Now more than ever, due to how fast the world and the data landscape is changing, it's crucial to break down changes into terms and or actions that all constituents can understand. The organizational is much more important than the technology in most respects. To drive buy-in, Vincent has seen giving people agency over their data work quite well. Giving domains the trust and the tools, frameworks, or resources to manage their data gets those business leaders, the domain owners, to come to the table quite often. But you can't just give them the responsibility without the additional help. I've talked about that as a dot, 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 not nice move. Vincent discussed some past approaches that he would do differently now. He focused too much on the technology and telling others exactly how something should work or look instead of working with them to drive to the outcome and let them figure out the right path while helping them along the way. You can influence that final picture quite heavily, but if you just show them the picture and say, go here, it doesn't work very well. You know, Give them the big picture and talk to the outcome rather than the technology. And to do that, Vincent talked about building out a, a pattern, but not the whole picture. Give them a defined enough idea of that good outcome, but not overly defined. And build in the easy path or golden path boilerplates where it makes sense through templates, but you know also add extensibility. If things are too rigid, people will thrash against that. It is quite easy to over-engineer solutions. Think problem-specific, not technology-specific. Specific to Data Mesh, Vincent sees one of the big remaining questions out there is how to actually automate and decentralize governance, especially things like access control. There isn't much good specifics out there on how to set up security as code in a scalable way, whether Data Mesh or not. And we need to think about security as that sliding scale of risk. You can't completely eliminate risk. That's ridiculous. But you should be thinking about what is my risk reward when it comes to risk. Vincent shared a few words of wisdom near the conclusion for data leaders. The first was how easy it is to see something like data mesh, get very excited and try to do a whole lot of changes at once. Making mass changes causes instability. Instead, think about where you can be more targeted in support of the long-term big picture. Don't boil the ocean. The second was get comfortable with ambiguity and think if your organization is aligned to accepting ambiguity. If you aren't comfortable with ambiguity, stay away from the bleeding edge. It's called bleeding for a reason. And it's fine to not be wanting to jump on that bleeding edge. You need the ability to test, to try and test, fail, learn, and then iterate towards a better solution. If failure isn't allowed and and maybe even celebrated, The bleeding edge is probably for braver souls. And again, that's okay. So I think you'll learn a lot from this one. Uh, Let's go ahead and jump to the episode. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode.
very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Vincent Koch here, who is the head of data at High Pages. And we're going to be covering kind of a, a lot of different topics to be jumping into. One is talking about like, how do we think about actually figuring out what what are domains? How do we split them off? We don't kind of take the monolith uh, on the microservices approach and just smash it with a hammer and and you know you all your new shards are are your new microservices. Like how do we peel out the concept of domains on the data side as well? You know how do we think about federated versus decentralized? You know a lot of what data mesh goes into is the decentralization and, and things like that. Sensible defaults, guardrails, and then uh, I think one that a lot of people are are asking about is kind of what are the role of data engineers and and data analysts, especially in data mesh? Are we should we embed data engineers? Should we not? You know, just a lot of these uh, kind of good topics that are good to cover and and have food for thought around, uh, especially somebody who's seen. Um, where some of this stuff can go right and <laughs> where it can go wrong. So um, with that, uh, Vince, if, if you don't mind giving uh, people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can kind of jump into the topics at hand. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for the intro. And uh, thank you for having me on your show today. So I'm Vincent, uh, been in data for quite some time now, more than say 10 to 15 years, worked originally in the, in the UK and I come from a software engineering background and kind of fell in love with data and, and what data can do to organizations in terms of helping them understand what's going on, bring about change and, and unlock new possibilities. More recently, I joined High Pages uh, in Australia as their head of data the last couple of weeks ago. High Pages is what we call a trading marketplace in Australia, one of the leading trading marketplaces. For those don't who speak, uh, for those don't speak Australian slang, tradie is uh, effectively short for tradesmen. Uh, so when you've got think about electricians, plumbers, carpenters, we, we run an ecosystem, a kind of two sided marketplace for those licensed tradies to be able to um, effectively book jobs and and, and come out and, and help people. Yeah, I, I think that's that's really great uh, background. So and. What we had kind of connected around was High Pages is is kind of in some of the early stage journey around um, data mesh, and and I know you're coming in to kind of take them to that next level of of from kind of what they were um, first looking at and trying to figure out. So, um, you know, you're very very early days, but is there any insights that you've gleaned about what what are good paths to go down and where? What might be uh, rat holes or rabbit holes that people should avoid or anything like that? I think the first one for me is really understanding, like, is data mesh even the correct approach for my organization? Like, I don't want to just, I'm not saying this is a bandwagon, don't get me wrong. I think it's a, an amazing approach and it's been thoroughly tested and and, and well-documented, uh, as we know from the recent um, literature that's come out. However, I I want to make sure it's going to work right for my organization as with any sort of technological approach or any sort of uh, process uh, that you want to embed. The other thing as well, not just in terms of timing, is probably your organization's appetite for change or that kind of making sure there's that, is that that kind of agile mindset. You know, data mesh kind of really works well in that domain-centric approach of, of an organization. So 
not just your systems, but if your people are also within that sort of hierarchy, I suppose, of a, a very agile software engineering practice, then then really it makes it a little bit more straightforward in terms of that approach or that embedding of that sort of data culture into the organization. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I, I, I would probably say data mesh is not applicable for most organizations and it's and in general, and then it's even more so right now because it is leading edge, bleeding edge, like what, whatever you want to call it. Like <laughs> there's a lot that isn't figured out. There is a heck of a lot of white space. You know, Jamak talks about this. I talk about this. Anybody who's implementing, um, you know, Zolando is probably the furthest one down the path and they're, you know, two, two and a half years in. And Max Schultz, when he was on, said, we're 20-25% of the way through like our kind of end st- or, or our, our stage where we think that we're going to be kind of stop evolving quite so quickly, <laughs> right? You never really get to an end stage with it, but we're only even in a quarter of the way in, two, two and a half years in to that kind of first, you know, big evolutionary phase. So I think, yeah, I, I think it's very, very early days. And I think that agile mindset, there aren't patterns, right? There aren't a lot of things where you can say, this has worked well for these 30 organizations. It's like, oh, this has worked well for these four organizations. And there's 50 companies that have talked about what they're doing with, with data mesh. Okay, this, this seems like it could work for us. So let's let's try it and give it a, a whirl, but you have to be agile and, and measure, is this working? Yeah, definitely. We're going through that transformation phase where I'm at now, where it's about what's our next data architecture look like? How do we bring in that quote unquote modern data stack in place? And I find that that's a good prover tool kind of crossroad to be in where you there is that appetite for change and you are looking at changing platforms and systems. Maybe there are some practices of data mesh that can really work well. Uh, maybe if it's not in its entirety or at least conceptually, there are some some really obvious things in there that I feel would work really well. And um, it'd be good to start adopting some of those from day one, I, I believe. Yeah, and I think the... That there isn't a a one or a zero, right? It's evolution towards this. If if you're not evolving towards a data mesh implementation, you know, if you try and do it as a big bang, you're you're gonna be screwed. Like it's just not gonna work. It's far too big. I mean, it could work. It just causes itself a whole lot of pain uh, and a lot of yeah. I, I wouldn't recommend it. I, I, I would go out on a limb and say, I, I just, I can't fathom like a big bang. Like if you're at, at a large enough company where a big bang of trying, you know, t- 20,000, 30,000 people trying to do a big bang for for implementing the self-serve platform and, you know, the domain ownership, it just, yeah. So, um, so we were talking about kind of that concept of, rational evolution, right? Of how do you take the monolith and split uh, that off? You know, on the microservices side, you've got your software engineering background. So you're aware of kind of (laughs) the do's and don'ts there. But how are you thinking about doing that in that kind of rational and um, measured approach to figuring out what what is what, what are you know, our hard, hard boundaries or our big, you know, big scale boundaries versus all the little subdomains and things like that, that you'll kind of discover later. But like, how are you thinking about actually approaching that question? Yeah, definitely. I think a really good example of when 
people started adopting microservices initially where they turned everything into a microservice and then it became a polar opposite of of a monolith and and became even harder to manage you you kind of don't want to have to adopt that same problem here so it's a scale of what's the right number of domains or data ecosystems that you want to build within mesh and each organization will have a sweet spot at least at that point in time and as we know with this it, it needs to be able to scale upwards downwards sideways uh, as needed and that's the kind of i suppose that the core of data mesh itself is designed to 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 evolve as the domain and the organization grows and changes i've got this theory in my head of how i'm thinking that this could apply in my organization uh, i'm i'm happy to share my early thoughts with everyone listening today and <laughs> hopefully not get crucified but I kind of feel like this 80/20 rule with organizations where when you, when it comes to data in a, in a pre-data mesh pre-data fabric world where you've got like your big data platform in the middle and it's serving the whole organization what ends up happening is 20% of the people end up taking 80% of your energy when it comes to the data requirements the data work and you've got these other domains or functional areas within your organization that get completely left out so when you talk about a data strategy which is all encompassing and meant to be fair and even to everyone it ends up not being that it ends up being a couple of key areas of your organization that get most of the love in regards to data requirements and and your data platform itself so when you take that same thinking and you apply it to domains or different functional areas in your organization you end up with disparate data maturity right you've got teams that have got really good engineers and you know might not be data engineers but just engineers in general developing products or agile teams pms you might have teams that are very much new to this and you know working on a, solving a problem or come from uh, another subsidiary or you know just haven't been quite attuned to technological change uh, over the years so you've got this how can i say like different scale of of maturity within within different domains so the way i kind of see mesh in my head is how do i get all these domains into a base level capability uh, at least from a mesh concept uh onto the mesh but really it's about there's going to be a sliding scale for each one of these domains that needs to be adapted to right it's not like a one size fits all i'm just going to take this approach and just fold it over my organization it really needs to kind of talk to those different different groups uh, and effectively there would be kind of those hub and spoke elements of the mesh itself how so a couple of past guests have talked about something similar of of especially like leaders and laggards and a lot of what they're they're working with you know nav folks um uh, Henrik Gothberg was working with uh, Scania. They were talking about that they find those ones that are more advanced and work with them. So you're almost accelerating that gap. And is that, I mean, it, it can feel not fair if, if that team isn't data literate or they don't have the data capabilities that they should have simply because they're ignored versus they're digging their their feet into the you know their heels into the ground and, and not uh, allowing themselves to go forward um, but like do you think that you want to bring everybody up first or do you want to start to figure out 
like find those groups that are more advanced and 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 have those it's almost kind of like what's going on with data mesh of the people that are really kind of advanced in their capabilities are sharing what they're doing and there are people who are saying oh are we are we advanced enough but like once we have enough kind of proof points we can have those conversations more easily like what what have you found actually works I think you, you've hit the nail on the head and it's sort of what I was leading to in a way around if I wanted to implement mesh and let's say we've got all these domains and subdomains that we want to build out, 100% I will focus on the ones that have the capability to, to run this themselves to some extent. So they have that mesh capability, at least in, in, in theory and principle. And the ones that don't uh, are very much that central governance. They're not domains as yet within mesh. And effectively, it's it's once they get to that base level capability, whatever that, that trigger point may be, that's when you could go off and spin off a domain. So you're not ending up with this this mesh that you know 80% of your or let's say 50% of the organization can't function and and can't work with. You've got this kind of balanced approach of of scaling it out uh, in a, in a more organic way that adapts to the organization and the different levels of maturity in those teams. Yeah, and I mean I know there's the answer is always it depends, but um, how do you think about than that centralized team, right? There is that centralized, it's not just centralized governance, but it's it's centralized data engineering. It's centralized, you know, a lot of those capabilities that those teams rely on, like how do you start to decompose that? Or, or do you think you still have a, a central team? You know, we were talking about, do you embed data engineers or not? Like, how, like is it just, it depends just at every single, <laughs> to every single answer in that because it is so much, uh, based on what what's going on with your organization? I think there's an organizational element to how your teams are structured, right? So there might not be a right or wrong answer depending on, on which organization you talk to. Most technological organizations I've seen, or like at least software houses, big, big engineering shops, a lot of them have like the central platform team, DevOps team, someone who really kind of brings a lot of the glue together for a lot of the engineering work. And... I feel like that aspect of that may still be required, especially when you're talking about technology in its infancy. It's still going to need that decentralization. Um, it's probably not the right word. It's probably, and I was going to kind of get into this a bit more, is that it needs that federated approach where you've got people who are at least masters in that sense of, of bringing this ecosystem together and hold the keys and can handhold people through it whereas they're not embedded within the, the domains of the teams themselves. So they're not looking at a single problem, but they're looking at the whole ecosystem and making sure it, it functions and works correctly for everyone. And I think that's like when talking about, especially the governance angle, I think that's really crucial too. When, when the teams can know 80% of their governance and have that reliance on that centralized team, right? You can inform the teams, you can get them up to speed, you can get them to, okay, like, is this PII? In a lot of cases, that's a pretty easy question to ask, right? Like, you, you're you're not having uh, idiots on your team, basically, you hired these people for a reason. So um, you, you know, and you want to respect them and, and uh, kind of 
federate that that um, governance decisions because it's not the most complicated. But if you have a complicated, uh, you know, in the finance space, there's all sorts of very complicated regulations for each different type of data and each different type of interaction and all this stuff. So you have that centralized team to back, you know, to, to provide backup. I think it makes sense as well from a, a data product standpoint, um, you know, as somebody's even learning how to create their own data products, um, that you have <laughs> a, a team that they can go and rely on and that kind of accelerates and that you don't, it, it also helps to provide a little bit more, I don't like standardization, but like things are a little bit more standardized, right? Where you say, you know, this, this needs to uh, meet our exact standardization. No, versus like, hey, like this is this is what's having success in these other ten domains. I get your your domain number eleven. Let's just kind of reuse what we found that works. <laughs> yeah, I think the word you're looking for is consistency. I, I, I would say in, in terms of that approach and, and thinking. At High Pages, we actually have a, a data platform team, and, and then we've got a separate data analytics team. The data analytics team is effectively our analysts that, that sit within the domains and the, the specialties and our data platform team are the, the team that really house a lot of the engineers and, and the people that put together the ecosystem, the data ecosystem that runs for our organization. So you can see that there's obviously a need for both. There is a need for having people embedded in the teams to work with the domain-specific use cases and also at the same time, have that helicopter view and keep the ecosystem or that data ecosystem working for an organization as well. And and do you find that that, so like there are people that are embedding analytics engineers or data engineers into their teams to give them the capability for producing data products versus consuming information, right? Or, or their main focus is kind of the, the, the data product developer role um, in general in data mesh. How, how, do you think that that's going to evolve at high pages or, or how how are you planning for it and, and what have you seen kind of early days? Because it sounds like you've, you've kind of experienced this before of if you don't have that data capability inside a domain, that domain really doesn't know how to deal with data either going in or, you know, coming, coming in or going out. I think there's two prongs. So I'll answer from how I see it at least in terms of what um, I can talk to. And then I'll, I'll talk more kind of generalistically speaking, uh, more theory-based. I think internally, the way I see it, where I'm sitting from now is I have analysts that are embedded within, within the organization's domains. They are really the custodians when it comes to data. I think the bridge or the, or the gap there is at least what data mesh is trying to solve in terms of being able to productionize data products or solutions around data. It's about bringing it closer to the engineering. So even if you don't have that capability for say analytics engineering, um, you've got that data capability or at least that data specific knowledge within that domain. It's really then working with the engineers or the developers or the people that work within the product team themselves to have at least some level of capability or understanding to be able to support uh, a data product. So it could be from a from a data mesh or data product central team perspective. It's like, how can I build the tools and the solutions and the frameworks for developers or engineers in general to be able to spin up data products or work with data products and, and build data assets? 
um, given that they're so close to the edge. Now, thinking more broadly and theoretically speaking is, you know, this might work for some organizations, may not work for others. Some other organizations, let's, let's pick banks and finance, for instance, where the data is so complex and regulatory issues around that. Yes, you may need engineers in those teams to actually build for those finite use cases and develop those data products specifically to those domains or subdomains and spin them out. So it, I think it's very industry specific and also the, the size of the organization and also what commercial or non-commercial strategies and, and goals they have in mind. You know, it, if, if I'm an e-commerce organization, do I need to have lots of data engineers within each of the domains when actually it's it's one kind of customer facing product at the end of the day or am i a large government organization that has lots of facets and needs very specific data requirements in both ingress and egress that needs to be kind of catered to so i don't think it's a, a simple answer for everyone i think this is the issue is that everyone's kind of looking for a simple pattern that they can just <laughs> grab yes cookie cutter, Lego piece, bang, I'm done. And I don't think that's the case, right? Like you almost have to like take the pieces together and then make it kind of fit your organization. And that's why Zamek's book is really good because it's more about the methodology and the approach. It's not meant to be technology specific. It's not meant to be organizationally specific. It's giving you the kind of framework and the rules. It's like you then have to interpret and and, and put that into your organization. I think that's the fear for a lot of people, but also I think it can be quite exciting because you're, you're thinking of different ways of applying that, uh, that design thinking or system thinking approach to, to data mesh and, and data in general to your organization. Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to give you a, a bit of crap, but I think you gave it to yourself about that. People really do want that um, because there's so many, potential questions within data mesh. When I talk about like somebody asked me to put together an FAQ and I'm like, I literally have 300 questions that would go on an FAQ and they are frequently asked. These aren't like one-off questions, but it's like, uh, what, what should uh, a data product or a data quantum, what is the definition? Is there a specific definition or every organization I'm finding is, is defining it slightly differently. And that's, that's fine. Like even what you talked about, I, there was one thing that that I thought could be a really interesting uh, question here, or it might just be, it depends again. But um, so when we think about what, what a domain could actually offer from a data product standpoint, there are certain domains that aren't going to have that complex of data, right? And, or their data isn't going to be honestly all that valuable, right? And so especially if it's not complex and it's not all that valuable, are, do we still need to embed the same amount of resource into that team to kind of think of it in, in that fairness angle that you talked about earlier? Or is it that kind of fairness relative to market balance, right? Of, hey, let's, let's look at the return on investment here. And like, you know, even if we have a team that's super uh, a laggard right now, but they're going to have the most valuable information. Should we be investing in that first? Or, or is it just kind of, it's always a little bit of a feel as to can we actually accomplish this? And and where, where can we get to fast returns versus high returns versus high return on investment versus all that fun stuff? 
yeah, like agile methodology tells you to just focus on now. Don't don't think too much into the future because you're going to get lost in it. Not mm-hmm. that I'm saying don't do that or do that. It's right for you, but it's very much. I think you need to cater for today. But at the same time, have the concept in your mind that what happens if this team needs to be fleshed out further, you know, in terms of data product and capability, or what happens to a team if they were fleshed out and for whatever reason that product is seized or you know it's been folded into another team how does that data product then fold into that other you know domain how does that scale down in some cases so i think once you can kind of think of that concept in your mind of ever-changing organization because an organization is never going to remain static it's going to it's going to move in one direction right or multiple directions at a given time and our challenge is as people building these data products and, and solutions in the past, we haven't been so good. We've been like, let's just build these huge things and put all our data in it and it will solve the world. And it, as we found out over the years, it's never been that simple. It's, I think we've got an opportunity now to kind of think a couple steps ahead and go, in the past, these are the things that have happened to our organization and broke our data products. How can we apply that same thinking now, at least on paper, on a desktop exercise point of view, before I go down the rabbit hole of implementing something like this? Yeah, I, I think getting people that comfort with ambiguity and 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 change that, you know, historically you look at what you tried to do with the enterprise data warehouse. It was, you know, you came up with a schema and like changing that schema was insanely, insanely painful, right? Um, you know, you can do data warehousing like what people do with Snowflake, where it's just like tables that aren't like, okay, we're we're having a very specific schema or anything like that. But we've thought too much about let's design this perfectly instead of let's iterate along the way. Or have you found that, you know, if, if somebody's in an organization where there's that fear of iteration, that fear of evolution, instead of, you know, kind of hitting it all in, in one go, like, is your advice to somebody there? Do you have any advice? I've heard some people just say leave, which I don't love, but <laughs> I get, but. I mean, it's one solution to your, uh, but it's not the most ideal. I find we, with a lot of this, it comes into just change management in general, right? Like, why do you need to change? Why does an organization need to change? If it's obvious what that change is, it's like, okay, how do we communicate it? How do I bring people in on this journey? You know, for some people, the concept of an enterprise data warehouse or just data product in general might be just mind-boggling. And, you know, you, you try and bring something more complicated like data mesh which in, in, into, into the fold, you've completely lost people. So how do you break it down in, into terms or concepts that they can understand or workshop or exercise and, and, and work through and bring that theoretical thinking into their minds so it's not theory anymore, it's more realistic and they can see how that can apply for them. This was kind of similar to when organizations would go through this like we're going to adopt agile right we're going to run these workshops we're going to make you play with lego and think you know how does an agile team work and let's do a scrum and a retro and stuff maybe there's other ways of you or people kind of adapting this data mesh concept or just data product or data change management in an organization in a way that their organization can understand before you go ahead and go right this is what we're going to do Usually that doesn't get favored too well unless people are aware of the change and, and they're happy with it. Yeah, I, I, I 
one thing that I, I tell a lot of people, which I get flack for, but I tell people in all of your documentation that might be seen outside of the data team, literally copy, find, replace data mesh with unicorn farts. Because then you will stop putting data mesh into the things that are outside of the data team. It is a organizational change, you know, uh, and architectural change framework, right? It, it is a framework for setting that up. But your business people don't care. They, they care about, can I get at the data? Is it sensible? Is it usable? Can I use it to inform my decisions? Can, can I use this to outcompete, you know, in the market? Not... Oh well, we're we're you know using this uh, you know schema formatter. We're using this this modeling approach, and we're doing. They don't care, and and honestly, the business as a whole should not care. Yes, we need to to focus on proper ways of enabling people to be data driven or data informed. I, I prefer that than data driven, but like that that's what matters at the end of the day. Like, you know, there, there was a, an article somebody put out saying, you know, all this, this talk about how to really only implement at the architecture level, what really matters? And it's like, we've been talking in the data mesh world. Well, you know, Jamac has been for, for mm. years. <laughs> what matters? Like it's, it's almost three years. I think her, her thing came out May 19th of 2019. We're, you know, we're almost, uh, there where it's been three years and she's been talking about what matters is what this enables. And, mm. and like, have you, have you found that you're able to like, I guess if somebody is having that struggle, not within driving of the, the buy-in from the data team, but let's say they've got the data team bought in. How have you found that you're able to communicate something like data mesh doesn't have to at all be data mesh, but these kind of concepts outside to the business people? Is it just like, what does this get you or? I think I did the third, the first thing you mentioned is I didn't call it data mesh and make it into this. Cause you know, this new kind of bleeding edge thing, which, which can scare people. Right. And talked about it more about this is a way of enabling you to have more control over your data, having more accessibility, more control, more to be able to effectively build your own data products in your own team. But not to say that we're just going to expect you to be able to do that by yourself. It's, hey, we're going to give you the tools, the frameworks and the solution to be able to to bring about that agile change rather than expect you to continue working with, with heavy constraints to, to resourcing and kind of common data bottlenecks that most organizations have. Uh, when I went back to that 80-20 rule earlier on in the conversation around how, you know, a couple of key teams will really be taking up a lot of that energy and then you, it's it's not kind of fair on on everyone else. And just one thing you, you mentioned earlier that I just wanted to call out was when you said about the strategy and the work, you know, is it going to be strategic? Is it going to deliver value? Is it going to be unable to meet, you know, to make decisions for for that team, I think that should be your success criteria. Not hey, we've implemented X, Y, and Z technology and it's delivering, <laughs> you know. And I completely agree with that. And sometimes we get so excited about the technology aspect, given that majority of us are either engineers or, or come from that sort of field, that we're excited about what it can do, um, what it does, rather than what it can deliver and what it what it can do, which I think is very very important and not something to lose sight of. 
Yeah, I, I, technologists want a technology, something I say. And, and like a lot of what you said in there is if we just give people additional responsibilities without additional resources, whether that's people or, you know, tools, frameworks, like all that stuff, it's, you know, it's just not going to, <laughs> at best, it's going to lead to them wanting to check out from doing this. But, you know, a lot of times it's going to even make things worse because you're just going to create chaos because you're not giving them the space to actually do this, right? Yeah, it's the same way like when you, if you want to look at implementing self-service analytics, for instance, in an organization, you, you know, you've you built the platform and then you go, off you go. You kind of expect people to suddenly jump from that to informed you know, decision-making and, and you, know, you need to give them a glossary, you need to create some training, you need to walk them through it templatized stuff the same approach applies here it's 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 change management 101 and that what you need to do that hard work you can't expect an organization once you put the technology in for it to solve all your problems straight away yeah and and i think um that that comes through a whole lot of just like we need to inform people but we also need to not inform them about what's the cool technology we're doing <laughs> Um, you know, a lot of these, uh, interviews, uh, I've had some people tell me, well, why, why don't you ever get really, really specifically technical? And it's like, well, a lot of times it's, you, you need to figure out what your challenges are, and then you'll find a technology that can help you address that challenge. And, and the, you know, people talk about software engineering that the, you know, actually writing the code is very, is very hard part of software engineering, but it's the easiest part. Right. It's all the communication and change management and all that stuff. How have you found actually working people through that change management? Right. Like getting them too comfortable with agile like that. That's that's the I think the real heart of these conversations that I haven't really touched on because, it, that, you know, you're, you're really hammering it uh, that we really do need to do change management 101. And I think, you know, and again, it can be it depends, but. Like, what have you found that really works to get people, you know, it's against human nature. You're literally going against human nature to, to so how have you uh, hacked humans to, to get them to go in your direction? My honest answer, the reason why I keep chiming on about it, which I think you've just noticed is I think in the past I've done it terribly wrong. I've, I've built data products and put it in front of people and expected it would work and it didn't. So I think over the years I've realized that's not the way to go about it. And and really this cool thing that they call change management and, and ad- agile approach and, you know, building high-performing teams, oh, they might be onto something here. Uh, the, key, the key to a lot of change management and, and, and kind of implementing any sort of difference or, you know, changing the way people work or, or interact with information and, and go about their day is really about less about you telling them, what it should be or how it should work and more them coming to that realization of how to go about doing it. So different people within an organization will think differently. Uh, I'm trying to keep this quite relatively loose without going into too, too much specific. Uh, But, you know, for some group of people, you may have to workshop it for them to, to realize, okay, what are the problems I'm facing? What are, the, what are the challenges that we're having? How can we alleviate them? Oh, look, wow, there's this connection here that if we did this and that, 
and we had these products, data products, we can solve for these problems and suddenly my, my bottlenecks are gone. You know, it's a, like aha moment. For some, it could be more, you know, coaching them through it and go, you know, how certain technologies can potentially solve for certain certain problems that are facing. The, the issue you find, you end up in this trap where um, someone, I don't know who, I don't can't give credit to, gave me this that, if if you're talking to people that are not as technologically mature, it's sometimes better to talk about the the outcome or I suppose what's the the output of that work going to deliver for them rather than the technology in itself. And I think this is sort of what we were getting at earlier in the conversation. It's like instead of saying, hey, we're going to develop this data mesh, decentralized, federated, and, and start talking about the technology instead if I turn it on its head and start talking to senior managers in an organization or these domain owners and start talking about, you know, it's going to help you really own your data. It's going to help you become more quicker and agile in order to kind of be more decision-led. Uh, you know, when I start talking in, in the, the, the delivery of what that's going to deliver for them, then they can get more relatable to that and they can start working through that and unpack that because you're talking in a language that they can understand. I'm always surprised at how much the concept of even if you have to still share your data, that you own your data, how like exciting and empowering that is. Because it's like, oh, you're st- you still have to share your data. You still have to do this work. But like you get to, to really own how you do that. And it's amazing how how many people are saying that that's the thing that really drive some buy-in for uh, not all folks, but for a lot of people that it's, it's um, I was, I was kind of surprised by that, but I guess it is kind of just saying, I trust you to do this, right. We're going to work with you to make sure that if you've got questions that we can help you answer those, but I trust you to do it right. And, 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 you know, I think um, I can't remember the exact phrase that um, Jessica Kerr had used, but it was like, you know, autonomy doesn't, oh yeah, it was, it was use agency, not autonomy. Autonomy is just like, you go figure it out. Agency is let's talk about what, where we're trying to head. Like, what are we trying to accomplish here? And we're going to give you the capability and the uh, power to choose how you get there. You, you get to choose the path. You we're, we're telling you where we want to hit the end destination, but you know, we're going on a road trip and we're, you know, uh, going to XYZ town, I don't know, from Sydney to Canberra, right? <laughs> like, does it matter exactly the route? You know, this is the route you've got to take. The, the, you have to go this way. Or it's like, no, you can kind of meander around and, and do that. But like, you know, we, we do have an end destination where we're going to be in a, a nice hotel on the beach or whatever. Or you could be that annoying person who cares about how you get there. And I, and I, and I find that's when you're getting too lost in the detail and you're not letting it be you know yeah and, and that's that's the hard art of sometimes some things you just got to kind of leave it to its own devices how like part of of what we talked about in in kind of the pre-tape of of things was like finding sensible defaults and guardrails for people so that they don't you know it's the i, I talk about the so tell me about yourself question and how awful that is versus like 
hey, here's kind of a generic sample picture that you might draw, you know, or you tell somebody, draw me a picture versus like, draw me a picture with a happy sun and, you know, or a picture of a house with a, a happy sun and some people playing outside or whatever, you know, typically you'd probably be telling that to a kid and you're not, you're hopefully you're not <laughs> giving that instruction to an adult, but I don't know, maybe with the uh, paint with wine nights or whatever, maybe you are doing that. But um, like, how do you find those, those, guardrails and those defaults and those, you know, is it a, is it just kind of through iteration or what, what have you found if somebody asked you, like, how do I get it so that I actually can, um, push people in the right direction without, you know, uh, having to, to drag them along, you know, you've, you've got give them support, but not have to, to kind of shove them in a certain direction. Yeah. You almost have to build a pattern as much as you don't want to or you can't. You have to start somewhere, and I think that needs to be iterated upon potentially. It needs to be defined enough to to give people something that they can tweak and, and make work for themselves, but then not too kind of crazy deep that they can't. It's impossible to domain-specific. And the way I kind of see this in, in a data mesh concept world is very much there's cons- there's components of data mesh, like you've got the architecture itself, right? like where the data is stored and processed. Um, you've got your ingestion and egress layers, for instance, right? And then you've got everything else that governs it, like data governance, security, privacy. Even if we talk to those parts of those things, you need to somehow give, I don't know, a boilerplate of some description for each one of these components. And the most kind of obvious way to potentially go about doing this, and this might not work for some organizations, but potentially works more for us, is more around, say, code coders infrastructure is a very good example where, you know, you can potentially build that solution with whichever vendors or whatever, but it's kind of code driven. It's, it has that ability for someone to tweak it and make it work for their setting. You know, might work for my use case, may not work for others, but then how do you then do access control and governance? Is that also code driven? Do you have a security policy as code or do you have some other solution? I think you just need to think of the the, the boilerplate components, uh, at least from a baseline perspective that can be rolled out. And then as you get those use cases, work through it. But then as we mentioned at the start, you're going to already know the three or four key teams, groups, functions, domains that are going to need certain ways of doing things and for you to kind of make sure that this is implemented in the correct way in the first place is to make sure that their use cases are within these um, patterns i suppose and then how can you then adapt that and roll it out to the other teams again that's how i would solve it i'm not saying it's the correct way to do it at all but well that that is the pattern that's kind of coming through and and if you're uh from from a lot of these conversations of people that are having success with this of like look for reusability in absolutely everything like chase reusability, whether that's process, whether that's infrastructure as, or, you know, the, the code, whether that's, you know, um, data models and schemas and, you know, whatever, if, if, if it doesn't need to be developed from scratch, try to find the places where you don't need to do that. And if you do have a domain that has, okay, you know, not just, they want to go off in some crazy direction because they want to go off in some crazy direction, but they have like, a real reason to go off in that crazy direction, it's fine. Like you, you want to support them. You want to help them if there's, if it's going to drive a lot of value and you just kind of, but you don't want to um, make it that, that it's a huge burden on, on them if you, if you can prevent it. Yeah. 
you also don't want to over-engineer the problem, right? And yeah. kind of going into the modern data stack architecture, the the more recent iterations of what we're seeing being published and talked about is 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 going into this more unbundled world of where everything is very modular and similar to that kind of microservice architecture where you know i want an ingestion data ingestion tool or something to solve for data ingestion right and then when you move to mesh it's very much like hey this is our data ingestion tool or solution or solutions that you can use to bring data into your domain so you know when you start thinking like more problem specific rather than I want to use this technology and that technology. You've, you know, you've already kind of fixed your thinking rather than kind of thinking about the domains. Because, like you say, each 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 of these teams are going to need things done very differently. And the technology that you were using at the start, which maybe met sixty five percent of your organization's needs, might not work when you start going into very domain specific use cases. Um, I think there's warranted use a need to kind of keep it consistent and that kind of consistency across the organization, but there may be a need where you need to change things up as well. Yeah. Etsy uh, forever ago had this model where they said, this is our stack. This is our standard stack. If you use this, we will support you. Right. And, and a lot of people are looking at this for data mesh too. Of This is our standard platform. This, these are the standard technologies. If you have to go outside this, that's okay but you as the team need to support that, right? You need to pay for that support in the form of your own people that are supporting that. If we have enough demand for that specific technology capability, you know, via that piece of technology or whatever, then yes, we will subsume it and, and add it into our platform and we'll, we'll work with that and we'll work with you to, to get you into a good place. But, you know, we, we can't support everything but if we're not going to prevent you from using that, if you've got a good reason for using it, and and I think that's that's just kind of a helpful approach because it's like we'll we'll help you if you're doing the standard stuff, but if you're going way outside the bounds, that's okay. But you're kind of out, out on your own limb. Hundred percent. I think it's very much about what your resources can help service and and pull together, and also which battles you want to fight, right? <laughs> Uh, especially in larger organizations that are quite complex in, in some cases, you know, you're going to have that concept of shadow IT that's never going to dissipate or disappear. Uh, I think data mesh is, in fact, encouraging that level of ownership or that shared ownership concept. So it should actually solve for that issue of, you know, who owns what and that the fact that some teams want to have that level of ownership and control themselves. I think a lot of the kind of key parts of of data mesh are one, just communicate with each other. Two, uh, get way more explicit than you've ever been before. Like, um, not, not as an explicit language, but <laughs> you know, like there's so many of these things that are implicit of like who owns this and why, and it's like get explicit, share that context, and and go into things instead of requests and requirements. It's negotiation of like. Okay, you know, you've got that that team that's taking up 80% of your your data team's time. If you go to them and say, "Hey, you're taking up a huge chunk of our time for, you know, these this 10% of what you're trying to do as your output, but we can get to 90% with a 70% reduction in our effort." Like, is that good? Is that like what do you really need this? Why do you need this? 
you know, the number of times people say we need it real time. And what they just mean is we're sick of having a 48 hour lag for the data warehouse. <laughs> it's like, okay, so a one hour SLA, that's okay by you. And they're like, oh yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. That would be so great. It's like, okay, then we, we need to get explicit about what is real time. You know, it doesn't matter that you say, okay, you can't use the, the phrase real time, but it's like, okay, like let's talk about why you need it and what's actually valuable about having it on that, that. Uh, SLA. Um, I, I did have uh, one question. I mean, I'm happy to, you've got um, more color there, but I did have one question that I, I wanted to kind of wrap up on, which was a big, big one, but like, like what are the anti-patterns that you think people should really avoid? Where do you think that, that data mesh implementations are likely to go wrong, right? Like what, what do you think that that it's pretty easy for people to head down. We've kind of already talked about the um, trying to focus too much on the technology and um, kind of trying to have too firm of control. But is is there things where you, because there obviously are easy ways <laughs> to head down the wrong path with data mesh and, and there's a lot of anti-patterns out there. Yeah, I'll, I'll spitball a couple, I think. We're going to see, as we have seen with other modern data stacks, technologies like reverse CTL and custom data platforms, every vendor and solution is going to start saying that they offer data mesh. Um, if we haven't already, we have, <laughs> which I'm we starting have. to see. Yeah. So just, just cause it says it's data mesh doesn't mean it is data mesh. Like actually understand what data mesh is and, and how is it going to apply to your organization? Um, so that's more in the kind of a little bit in that technology space, I suppose, but still, you know, Think it through before you just jump onto it. Uh, the 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 other one is really about understanding the fact that from a an organizational point of view, don't go crazy with this stuff. As in, what I mean by that is understand, you know, that the say these three core teams that you want to work with. What is their definition of a good data product look like? What are the use cases? What what's the prioritization of that? And then from that, what does that success criteria look like? As you may say, look, I want to have data SLA of one hour. You know, that's going to keep them happy. Great. You know, and building up that picture, I think, is going to be key because then you're working towards that end state. And then it's really a matter of solving the middle, right? Given that you've got a bit of an idea of how you want to get there, you're just then filling in the blanks from a technology point of view. Like, how much do I want to build or buy, wherever it may be? The last one, I think, which is an area that I'm still exploring and I, I i feel like it's gonna well at least it's gonna trip me up i don't know about other people and i, and I feel like possibly the same is less in the data governance space but more in the the actual security and access control because we're moving through this this whole concept of you know you've got security people that go down yeah we want zero based uh zero trust access you know we don't trust anyone everyone needs to be implicit to hey teams here's your data product you can manage that access like at what level is that access control going to work and how do we decentralize or at least automate this governance of that access control itself and and the the ability to share data between the the teams or from within the mesh itself and i find there are some kind of working solutions around that but depending on which technology path you end up going it's it's not like an easy clean uh, solution or 
problem that's out there. And I, and I find the one that I'm gravitating towards at this moment in time is this whole similar to code as infrastructure is security policy as code effectively. And then you kind of go down the whole smart contract aspect where effectively based on some governance rules set by data platform team and also the, the, the platform, the people who built the, the data product itself, you know, it will work in a certain way. So this is still very theoretical for me because I haven't gone down the full implementation yet, but I feel that this is an area for me that I feel like I'm going to get lost in a little bit. Yeah, and I don't, uh, I mean, I think to me, it feels like it shouldn't be this difficult of of, uh, of a problem, but I think that's just kind of my naive uh, approach of, uh, and, you know, I think it's also that if you look at um, IAA, IAM permissions and stuff like that from um, uh, the cloud provider or <laughs> cloud providers. Sorry, that it's just an absolute hot mess. It is horrible, right? Like it is absolutely awful to manage that. So we have to kind of rethink the way that we manage that. That there is the ability to do it as at that code level, but that we also have like an actual. UI on top of it and that we we focus on there being a capability to get access when you need access and that we don't over automate but that we significantly reduce friction into making decisions for all parties right like that when you're creating your initial data product that it's easy those guardrails those um those templates are there and that you've got that kind of okay, we've got a rubber stamp that we can just say this is, you know, here, mark your four columns as PII. And then, you know, everything else, it, there's no real um, sensitive information in this. So whatever, like everybody can have access to it versus like everything has been so like granularity specific of we need to make this decision for each column and it needs to be, you know, a debate for each column. And it's like, we, we need to figure out how we get to that place and then how we actually enable, you know, making those decisions and then putting those decisions into the code. Yeah, because if you, if you look back, right, at the end of the day, it's the business users that are going to be the end users of this platform that you build. It needs to work for them as much as it needs to work for you, right? And we can't inhibit people from being able to do things. And in reality, what's going to happen is that Yes, we need to protect data. We need to make it privacy compliant, security compliant, but it's a sliding scale of risk, right? It's it's never going to be 100% perfect and, and every organization knows this, but it's like, how do you get it to an acceptable standard and to what nth degree? Like I'm obsessing over this security and privacy stuff because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm head of data and, and, and really that's the kind of area of, of expertise that I feel or, or the risk is most at for myself, but in another organization, someone else might be worried more about how are they going to implement the stack? How are they going to do the infrastructure? You know, so different people are going to have different challenge points uh, given their expertise and skills and resources available to them as well. Yeah. And, and when people are getting started, I, I recommend of CYA and then work towards um, getting it so that you can drive the, the value and interoperability and all that. But like, Start with, you know, cover your butt and then um, you can kind of figure stuff out from there. But like you can get overly cute on that that aspect. But also 
it's very important to not put yourself in a bad position where you just go, okay, like everybody has access to all data products and, you know, we're just going to make it a trust base where we're like, hey, you know, comply with these regulations that you have no idea what they are and all that. So, yeah, no, I I totally get it. It's, it's a question that comes up a lot. That and data discovery are, are questions that come up more and more often. <laughs> so, um, well... Vincent, this has been really, really great. I think it's going to be uh, helpful for framing the the conversations and for people who are saying, you know, I don't have all the answers. Does somebody have all the answers? And the answer is no. And that you can be like, I, I'm getting the sense that you're comfortable in the ambiguity and that we've got to get that that comfort around ambiguity around data and that we just have to work together to figure it out. So um, is there is there any kind of wrapping statement? Did you want to put a button on? Do you have the 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 single thing that, that's going to solve data mesh for everybody out there? <laughs> no, I just wanted to agree with you and say, look, be comfortable with that level of ambiguity if you want to play in the more bleeding edge space. You know, you, you want to adopt something that's new, newish, probably a better word for it. You know, get comfortable with that. You know, be prepared to fail, be prepared to, to change and adapt. And uh, in my case, I love that. That's what makes my job exciting. Uh, whereas makes some people terrified. Yeah. <laughs> depends depends where you enjoy, I suppose. Um, but yeah, other than that, if anyone else wants to reach out to me directly on, on LinkedIn, I'm more than happy to continue the conversation or talk about more specific questions as well. Yeah, as, as always, we'll drop a, a link to your LinkedIn specifically in the show notes. And, and yeah, I, I do encourage uh people to to reach out and and hopefully i think we're we're gonna get um kind of a um australia new zealand um uh, data mesh community kind of uh tight-knit group going as well out there because i think that that would be one that would be uh interesting for a lot of people and and also whenever you guys slang is just always so fun to to listen to (laughs) here so uh well thank you so much uh vincent this has been so um such a just great conversation i think it's going to be very useful for a lot of people so thank you for taking the time and thanks everyone for listening thank you scott thanks for having me on the show and yeah once again thanks for everyone who's listening i'd again like to thank my guest today vincent koch who's the head of data at high pages as per usual you can find a link to his contact information in the show notes thank you Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. April of 2023, I left DataStacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card, don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. 
check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Thank mm-hmm. you.